Sutra 24 The union of the seen and the seer is for the seer to unfold the awareness of his and her true nature and power. When I first discovered the mystical train, it was the yogini who appeared after I had died. She arrived unexpectedly when a simple conversation connected our eyes before the auspicious coincidence wove together our timelines. When she and I became united, the happenstance was beyond what could be explained. How had we met at that exact moment, and is this what one could call fate? You see, there is something intelligent happening in this reality, and it was beyond either of our control. She said she manifested me into her life, but this connection was not of our making, rather we rediscovered the great potential within our souls. The Great Spirit brought us together, a relinking of kindred spirits, as if the Spirit knew we were the ones who would depart on the journey to confront fear and face great risks. Now the train was filled with people, oh there were so many, and so I caught eyes with the person I cared for most, then I waved over the yogini. Well what do you make of it? Can you explain how we met? It seems like I've known you for lifetimes, and was it fate or destiny that brought us together to connect? I think there is a path, and we found it together. I believe this great way appears to open our hearts to everyone, but few souls are up for such an endeavor," said the yogini. And where do we go from here? I believe that there's a reason we found one another. What if we're called to be eternal lovers, she said. I paused when I heard this, because for many years it felt as if I'd been on my own. I'd been living and dying to find this great path, and for so long I'd been traveling alone. Do you think this is about just us, or are we in it for the all? What if our purpose is to serve others, then should we give up who we think we are to answer that call? But we can build a great life together, I'll teach yoga and you can tell stories and read cards. You can substitute teach for me when I'm gone, and we'll host retreats, classes, and dharma talks to help others grow and shine like luminous stars," said the yogini. Her ideas were beautiful just like her, and I was ready to go. All I had to do was pack my bags, grab the two cats, and then leap into the unknown. Things were coming together. It all felt right. But then Mr. Kismet spoke. Not quite. Not quite? Now what was this kitten up to? I'd realized that only I could hear the cat speak, but I wouldn't let a little cat dictate the life I lived through. The more I resisted Mr. Kismet, the more the wind began to surge. Such a terrible storm had arisen, and the power of its force was fierce and absurd. And so I disregarded Mr. Kismet and the wind when I spoke to the yogini. Well, I think your idea is great. Why, I'm envisioning our impact through harmony. We could open a yoga studio together, and from there, we'll help others walk upon the middle way and grow enormously. Yes, we'd be a balance of dualities, two halves together. Our relationship will flourish and we'll be lovers forever, said the yogini. Out of the corner of my eye, 
I saw Mr. Kismet running to the place I slept. He spoke without words. Oh, Mr. Kismet, what the heck? My mind stumbled upon such awful thoughts that I cannot say them out loud because I wouldn't let them persist. These thoughts were so bad, they would have made Jesus want to drink gin straight out of a cat dish. Will you excuse me for a moment? I must check on this little mischievous cat. Let me see why Mr. Kismet is misbehaving. Then I'll be right back. The yogini went back to teaching with a smile. She was always selfless and secure. Although she had faced many adversities like everyone else upon this train, she was not overcome by any of her fears. And when I got to Mr. Kismet, I was less than pleased. He was up to some mischief again, while the rest of us were trying to build a pleasant future where all beings could be at peace. Mr. Kismet, now listen up and listen good. The Yogini and I are in this together, and you must behave. Is that understood? He offered a slow blink, but it wasn't good enough, because after all this time, I'd been scooping up his cat shit. Well, what do you think you're doing, Mr. Kismet? When you're down to nothing, God is up to something, and we don't get to choose who we are. Rather, we just become it. When God is going to do something wonderful, God always starts with a hardship. When God is going to do something amazing, God starts with the impossible, said Mr. Kismet. Who do you think you are? You know who I am, but do you know why I've arrived? asked Mr. Kismet. You're just a kitten, and I'm your protector. I'm the one who pays for our home as I work and provide. That is incorrect. It is us cats who are your guides, said Mr. Kismet. Wait a minute. I'm looking after you. Now you've got quite the personality. Every day I give you water, love, and food. And thank you for your kindness, and in turn I guide your soul. You may think you know where you're heading, but who is it that's really in control? Asked Mr. Kismet. Of course it is I who is in control of the me. Then I paused for a moment and remembered that if I had control, then all of us would be freed. Well, maybe I'm being controlled by my family, or maybe by a world leader. After all, the president controls the nation, but what if we're all being led by a great sage or teacher? Think about who's in charge of the universe. That's who is in control of this path. Wasn't there a divine force that led you to the Yogini? Haven't you been riding upon Wind Horse's back? Asked Mr. Kismet. Of course, of course. I haven't forgotten about Wind Horse. But you see, the Yogini and I are in the middle of creating a great life, and everything is finally starting to find its course. You are finding the way, but it's not what you think. You may want to live a certain way, but Wind Horse is the reason you and the Yogini have fallen in sync, said Mr. Kismet. Now the wind began to rush past the trees, and so the leaves began to fall from all directions. The cats and I were well aware of the wind's great power, but as I spoke my case to the wind, the force of the air grew even harder. Now I understand what you're saying, Mr. Kismet, and I'm very thankful for Wind Horse to get us where we are. But the Yogini and I have really great plans ahead, and without her, I wouldn't have gotten this far. She's taught me so much about yoga, and I could barely teach before we crossed paths. 
I'm not going to abandon her or anyone, and I'm not going to leave the future up to chance. I wouldn't leave anything to chance, but this time it's not your choice. We've all got our own path to follow. We've all got to do our part so that the children of life will not be destroyed, said Mr. Kismet. And what happens if I stay with the Yogini in the here and now? A moment later, the Yogini's cat named Ivy appeared. Ivy jumped on a ledge by the window. Then the little kitten pawed at a potted plant until it fell and broke in a sudden crescendo. Was that you? It was not me, but some call it Loki, said Mr. Kismet. I don't think I believe you. And so I went with the Yogini, not wanting to listen to Mr. Kismet again. I knew that love cannot fail, since love always wins. A few days went by, and all Mr. Kismet offered was a series of slow blinks. It was a type of compassion he gave to me while I refused to listen to Mr. Kismet while he waited like a sphinx. Then I saw Ivy Cat by a sink, and this cat pushed off the Yogini's phone. This was a tool that the Yogini used to share her yoga teachings, but now the phone shattered, and this act of confusion was breaking expensive things that the Yogini owned. Look, she's great for you, but right now, you're not the best for her. Do you believe in miracles? Because there's something magnificent in store, said Mr. Kismet. So what are you saying? This cannot be a mistake. The closer you stay to her, the more things around you too will happen to break. And if you refuse to listen, then the wind will get so loud to make sure the lesson is conveyed. You'll need to go far apart. Follow the wind until you've gone deep into retreat. And once you're both far apart, then you'll be able to fulfill the rest of your journeys that you're called to complete, said Mr. Kismet. But why? Because when something dies, it undergoes a sort of spiritual crisis. We are all rediscovering the spiritual power of the soul that lives beyond each iris. Aren't you curious? We are wanderers observing life's peculiar nature. The seen and the seer gaze upon one another. That's why you met at the train station, which is a hub where the power of the soul can be rediscovered, said Mr. Kismet. But why are things breaking? This is not a good omen or sign. Now what do you make of all this? You and the Yogini are jumping timelines, said Mr. Kismet. Timelines? It takes great concentration to make such a leap, but if you avoid jumping onto a new timeline, then the patterns of things breaking will continue to repeat. This is like a nudge from the universe, and so we know this as a type of death. It's not the end, but rather a change, a release, or think of it as a beginning, like a new deep breath, said Mr. Kismet. So it's a reset. It's the entry into a new life, and if you give the right action and right intention, then everything will turn and settle into perfection, said Mr. Kismet. Now I ran to the Yogini, but how could I explain? If I told her what I'd actually heard from Mr. Kismet, I'm certain she and the world would call me insane. But why was this happening? Why does everything around me have to die? I pulled the Yogini closer and I looked into her eyes. Something has come to my attention and I'm having trouble putting it into words, but I got wind of an idea 
and it's something like a rebirth. Rebirth? What do you mean? asked the yogini. Do you know when surreal coincidences happen in a reality? When all of life starts to behave like a wild dream? We've both been seeing lots of omens, and I believe these signals are trying to teach us something, but it's up to us to discover what they mean. I have reason to believe the world is trying to reveal something important, but right now, it won't necessarily make sense to our own minds, and so I believe that the things we call manifestation and magic are leading us deeper into the life we've been trying to find. A moment later I heard something break, and I looked out to see what it was. The wind was raging, and so this was the heartbreak of love. Now I'd gotten really upset, because this force of the wind had taken over. Time to jump into a new timeline. This is the real test between two lovers, said Mr. Kismet. She could not hear this cat, but I knew what Mr. Kismet had said. Before the onset of rebirth, first comes death. By the time the Ogini had settled, I held the threads of a heartbreak. But why is this happening? How can this go on? Of course we have our own paths, but what is happening when it feels like life is breaking our bond? Asked the Ogini. I don't know what's ahead, but we must believe in the here and now. As long as we follow what we believe is the way, then we will know this as the Tao. There is something we are called for, and I'll support you forever. But right now, I believe we are called to go our own ways, and after we walk the path in opposite directions, eventually, that path will bring us back together. Then what must we do? She said. We must go forward on the path, and at first it'll look like we're being pushed away. But if you go east, then I'll go west. And if we go far enough, we'll go around the world before the wind reunites us. I don't know what to make of this. What is this plan? You're saying we have to go our own ways? But how is this something anyone could understand? She said. I don't understand it either, and I don't want our connection to break apart. But if we stay like this, then we're stuck. And so I am called to an inner journey where I must break down the brass wall concealing my heart. I'm aware of an ancient heartbeat. It's as if I hear my intuition pounding upon a locked door. I must go off on my own to open this doorway so that the bad fortune does not come back to haunt us anymore. With that there was a kiss goodbye, and so the Yogini got on a plane and went to the east. Something had crushed us while calling both of us for a great journey, and neither of us would understand what was happening until both of our journeys were complete. What is it that we must do? I asked the two cats I was left with. For every experience, both the good and the bad, will get us to where we are meant to be. Get lost and find yourself over and over again. Work hard and enjoy the process of your journey. What we are going through is organized around the theme of a voyage. Focusing on the inner journey shamans take during a life crisis and the ways in which they order the chaos and confusion of the voyage into the cosmos. The extraordinary consistency of the shamanic complex emerges as we study this process. The steps of the journey of shamanic initiation seem to have a patterned course. The call to power 
necessitates a separation from the mundane world. The seeker turns away from the mundane life, either voluntarily, ritually, or spontaneously through sickness, and turns inward toward the unknown, the mysterium. This change of direction can be accomplished only through what has been referred to as an obedience to awareness. Only through the development of discipline will the shaman's habitual ways of seeing and behaving dissolve and the visionary realms open. The call to power takes the shaman to the realm of chaos, the threshold, the lyman, where power exists in a free and untransformed state. Through a profound process of psychic turbulence and combustion, the mythic imagination is awakened. There are 10 features that characterize the reorganization of the higher self, said Mr. Kismet. What is all this about? You're trying to convince me about the purpose of mystical upheaval? If you're so smart, then tell me exactly what it's called. It is called soul retrieval. So let me elaborate on the 10 features that characterize the reorganization of the higher self. First, psychic, cosmic, and personal geography are focused on a center. Second, death occurs in the process of dismemberment and sacrifice. The person is tortured, chopped up, and his or her bones are rearranged. Now one can be dead and talk with presence of the spirit world. Third, there is a return to an earlier time, to paradise or to the womb. The theme of regression can also be reflected in the individual manifesting the behavior of an infant. Fourth, there arises a cosmic conflict between forces of good and evil, or other pairs of opposites. Fifth, there is a feeling of being overwhelmed by the opposite sex. The threat of the opposite can also manifest in terms of a positive identification with one's opposite. Sixth, the transformation of the individual results in a mythical apotheosis where the experiences become identified with a cosmic or royal personage. The person enters into a sacred marriage, a coming together of the pairs of opposites. Eighth, a new birth is part of rebirth fantasies and experiences. Ninth, a new age, where the beginning of a new society is anticipated. 10, the balance of all elements results in the quadrated world a fourfold structure of equilibrium and depth. The renewal of the higher self, or soul retrieval, is the center of the cosmos where the shaman is to be found, which is where the three worlds, the underworld, middle world or earth, and the sky realm are encountered. The center, axis mundi, is the path, passage, or gateway to the realm of death, where the shaman confronts the demonic forces that dismember. The confrontation takes place in the cosmic womb of the Earth Mother, in the bowels of the underworld, in the primordial beginning, before time. The battle between the shaman and the elemental forces can also be manifested in the early fear of the power of the contrary. The shaman's terrified resistance against androgenization, which means the equal split of masculine and feminine. After surrender, comes apothesis, which is the highest point in development, and so the climax is attained by means of a mystical identification with fire. The sacred marriage with the untamed spirit of the opposite sex brings together the pairs of opposites. 
As a consequence, a birth and rebirth can occur in the highest branches of the world tree. As the shaman is reborn, so is the society reborn. For the shaman manifests an image of harmonious cosmos. The cosmic design is of an ordered universe where the four winds, four roads, and four directions are balanced and the world is renewed. This mystery is experienced by the shaman in visions, in dreams, in exalted raptures, said Mr. Kismet. I don't have to go nowhere to see. Visions are everywhere. Be careful on the journey, the journey to heaven, said forgiveness. The realization of power occurs most frequently in the midst of an ordeal, a crisis involving an encounter with death. It comes suddenly, in an instant, and in many ways, the descriptions by shamans of their confrontations with power are comparable to accounts by yogis of the awakening of Kundalini and by Zen masters by their experiences of enlightenment. The entrance to the other world occurs through the action of total disruption. The soul surrenders into the realm of chaos, frequently making use of the experience of fear and dread to amplify the intensity of the situation, said Mr. Kismet. How do you know all of this? You're just a cat. I'm listening to an animal, so I must have lost my mind. Simple as that. For the shaman, although the universe is conceived of as powerful and uncertain, it is also a cosmos that is personalized. Rocks, plants, trees, bodies of water, two-legged and four-legged creatures, as well as those creatures who swim or crawl, all are animate all have personal identities. The cosmos, the world of the human, and the world of nature and spirit are essentially reflections of each other, said Mr. Kismet. Then why has this happened? Well, how many days have you been dead? It's like the dark part of the moon. There the pause between personal past and realized transtemporal life, dreams and visions, madness and sickness cause the loss of the soul. The soul is freed of the time-governed mortal body and is open to instruction and ultimately transformation. The soul can see its counterparts in the non-material world of spirits. To have contact with the dead is to be dead oneself. The shaman must die in order to communicate with the souls in the afterlife realm. It is in this way that shamans are taught, for the dead know everything. Thus. The dead assist the shaman in also becoming dead. This orders that he or she may achieve the spiritual state. Then communication with creatures and spirits, with those that are regarded as non-human, is affected in the shamanic seance. The sacred medium in trance is possessed by spirit who use him or her as a means of divine transmission. The shaman is the channel for the inner species communication and the spirits borrow or take over him or her for their purpose. In Japan, the great epics sung by the shamans are songs sung by spirit and God and ultimately to humans. The use of the first person in these narratives is an ancient means wherein the shaman speaks for the spirit and God and so that the God speaks through the shaman. The shaman is depicted in these great epics as being surrounded by spirits alive, your visible companion spirits. Poetry is essentially a process of self-revelation. In the Japanese shaman tradition, all creatures and entities 
are called Kami, or beings with supernatural abilities who live through anthropomorphic fashion in their own god worlds, where they are invisible to human eyes, but who also share a common territory with humans and pay frequent visits to the humans in disguise. Animals are forms of god in disguise. The shaman's ability to transform himself or herself into a spirit entity bespeaks the power that is realized in the process of metamorphosis from one state to another. This temporary loss of humanity on the shaman's part is a revolutionary phenomenon in the sense that the shaman regains human attributes when the trance is finished, said Mr. Kismet. But how did this happen? Shamans arrive at their vocation through personal inspiration and are called those with spirits. The call manifests and you may respond. Shamans use the term bashful to describe the psychological state of both shamans and spirits. This means they convey the highly sensitive psychic states of shamans and the shyness of spirits. A shaman of great power will refuse to show his skill when among strangers. He is shy of strange people. The shaman knows that the spirits belong to the wilderness just as much as any wild animals, said forgiveness. And although the journey is perilous, the ability of the shaman to be in a special and particular relationship with the elements, the creatures of nature, and the spirits from the unseen world make the shaman an invaluable member of his or her social network. Through the wisdom and word of the shaman, social and environmental crises can be mitigated and the possibility of survival increased, said Mr. Kismet. To make it short and sweet, nature controls our fate but we can control the whole situation by mastering the vibrations we make," said Forgiveness. It's not so easy to have that kind of control, but it's not impossible because you do it yourself. It's all done from the inside, said Mr. Kismet. Observers have noticed the ability of shamans to manipulate weather, perform surgery, suck out sickness, materialize objects, move things at a distance, see into the future, and know the unknowable. What the new age calls manifestation is shamanism, said forgiveness. Now every crisis of death leads to a rebirth, a transformation of the impure individual into one who is sacred. This realization awakens in the dream web when animal tutors and spirits of the other world appear. They come as mythical beings of gods and ancestors, and the candidate is doomed if he or she does not accept the instructions received in the dream from the presences of the other world. It is through dreams and visions that the purely sacred is often attained. The rules, regulations, and taboos of the inner life and of a higher natural order are made known. The map of the hidden cosmos is revealed. The path to and from the realm of death are repeatedly traversed. Animal instructors chant the secrets of the Divine Ones. The spirit of night everywhere present, yet nowhere visible, is manifested. The dreamer's soul must travel from one sacred mountain to another, led by a guardian spirit. Sometimes the spirits of dead relatives appear and announce the vocation of the dreamer, said Mr. Kismet. The dreamer is a creature of the shamans, for he and she listens all the time to learn what the sick people say when they point out the places where they have pains. All this is found out by the dreamers, 
and they tell this to the shamans. And so I call the dreamer the eyes of the shamans, said forgiveness. But be warned, the underworld has been described as dangerous and a terrifying place. The realm of the dead resembles the world of the living, except that all that exists there is upside down and inside out. Death is a reversal of life. In the human world, people place so much value on their external appearance, but in death, it's the inside that truly matters. Once you are dead, the reversal occurs and everyone sees you from the inside out. On the journey to the land of death, the shaman and the soul must brave icy winds, burning forests, stormy rivers, and bloody streams. In fact, the soul of the deceased rides a shaman animal through this dangerous passage, said Mr. Kismet. In that moment, I felt the wind surge. Om ta ta ta, om lung ta, said forgiveness. Wind horse ran past when I took hold of the reins and brought us aboard. Two cats and I upon wind horse, then off we went to the source of a particular river. Then we crossed into a high mountain range and through a primeval forest and then to a second great mountain. Beyond this, a dangerous swamp had to be navigated. Then a further road led to a mountain torrent where a beautiful forest had grown. Then, on the far side of this woods, was the village of the dead. Before our eyes, the greatest mountain at last. Behold, said forgiveness, Kailash. What do you make of this? The return to paradise, said forgiveness. Order will be imposed on chaos. Form is given to psychic confusion. The journey finds its direction, said Mr. Kismet. What do we do? Do not be afraid of the universe, but feast on its forces while allowing its forces to feast upon you. Through the experience of destruction comes instruction. Dismembered by ravenous spirits allows for the reconstitution of the world to a new and higher order of being, said forgiveness. So do you want us to climb it? It looks far too high. The pinnacle of the mountain looks like it cannot be summited since it rises beyond the human sky. Make yourself a drum, or equip yourself with whatever you need. When it comes to being an ordinary individual, you will never succeed. If you accept the calling of the shaman, you will become one. With no idea how long you've slept, when you awake, you find that you are being held over a fire. Your relatives will believe that the spirits have killed you, but you are unafraid to experience death. So you gain control over the elements and the world of the untamed. The withdrawal into solitude through sickness opens the way for the inner initiation to take place. Myth, in this case, evolves from the ground of the diseased body and mind, said Mr. Kismet. Now the fire you spoke of, what is it? There is always something pulling at us, like flames colliding together. It is a reunion that comes into fullness so that magic can transpire, said forgiveness. Then the fire is love, isn't it? It's loving awareness. It's magic on earth. The power of love is here now. The power of here is now. The great way which is the Tao, it's here and now, said forgiveness. The way is the harmony of the universe. When one comes into the spirit, when one sees how it is one, 
Understand that behind all the individual differences, man or woman, big or little, old or young, good or bad, every label you can think of becomes background instead of figure. What stands out is, here we are, here and now, that's all there is, said Mr. Kismet. We had been walking the path together this whole time to rediscover how we arrived right here. It was always here and now. But how could the universe bring us together when such magic could have only been orchestrated by a seer? Thought after thought, after all my mind's questions, today I had noticed a particular mountain pointing out in the heavenly clouds right there in the distance. Something about that peak, why my soul was being pulled to it. Expose yourself to your deepest fear. After that, fear will have no power, and the fear of freedom shrinks and vanishes. You are free, said Mr. Kismet. Where does the mountain go? It is the bridge connecting heaven and earth, and so you will learn to fly. That's why you have us as your animal allies. It is Windhorse who will transport the mage to the wonder far beyond the imaginations of those who are earthbound, to the heavens, to the well at the end of the world, to the depths of the underworld, to the bottom of spirit-filled lakes and seas, around the earth, to the moon and to the sun, to distant stars, and back again does the shaman travel. All the cosmos is accessible when the art of transformation has been mastered, said forgiveness. After that moment, there was an old mask upon the ground. It was the head of a skull, which we had just found. The descent to the realm of the dead, home of diseased spirits, speaks to the fundamental helplessness of humanity. Encounter the depths to taste the wisdom of those who inhibit the wilderness realms. The kiss of knowledge is knowing that there is no death of the spirit, and that is the raw nectar of the world of creatures. By wearing this skull, remind these people of this fundamental condition of existence, said Mr. Kismet. Any advice? Sounds like you know a bit about this dying stuff. Love isn't something you do. It's something you are. Just be love, and the impact will stretch forever far, said Mr. Kismet. And so the journey began with the wind, when I heard a chant echo through the valley of death. The voice seemed to come from nowhere, and yet this felt like an eternal breath. The heart is a palace, but they are living in their heads. They own a vast mansion, but why don't they realize they sleep in a shed? Are we living to die? But then who is dying to live? Freedom stems from how we live and what we give. Now it is our time to forgive. To forgive is to forego, to release and let go. Surrendering in service, so our potential flourishes in what we do, not by the accumulation of what we know. Enter within, now it is time to grow, said a mystical voice near the mountain called Kailash. Even though we were in the realm of spirit, the loka of the soul, it behaved much like life in the sense that no one was quite sure of who was in control. There were paths and places, spirits and things, all sorts of unique vibrations of energy implanted in the emptiness that the universe could fling. It was as if life was a sort of spin, or a constant cycle. But were these things our ancestors, or were these our teachers and we were disciples? 
I have a question. If I lived in a human body, but I am made of the seer of the soul, must I think of myself as human? Or is this an interpretation of my imagination? Is this illusion something I'm allowed to control? I don't think anyone was listening, and so I continued to wait and sit. The sun glowed, but we seemed far from it. Oh goodness, we were in between. Or was I gone and dead? No. I know it's me thinking these thoughts moving out from this head. But then where do these thoughts come from? All I know is that they continue to go. But where is the source of this stream, of how it all flows? I sat in meditation for a minute, and in it my insanity began to fall away. Good morning, great sun. Surely I was a witness to the rising sun of a brand new day. But did I decide to have these thoughts? And were these thoughts actually mine? Who made these ideas I was thinking? Because only now did I realize I was the one witnessing the passing thoughts in this mind. Something was happening, and this was what I was a witness to. I was not necessarily in control of all these thoughts, but still I was there with whatever the mind stream went through. It was much like a dream, and everything I saw was in the process of falling to pieces. There I saw ten women standing as the manifestation of what could happen to everything and everyone. And without words, these women were trying to reveal the ultimate teachings. It was like a great river, and we were heading to the source. There the ten women waited atop a mountain decorated with flags of wind horse. The mountain was like a pyramid, and there were five rivers running from it. The mountain was the same color as the cats, white snow caps over a dark black ash. What is happening at this mountain? I'm having a spiritual crisis. My mind is overwhelmed by visions, as if everyone is watching me go through this. The mystical power of Kailash, whispered Kismet. You get a glimpse, but this mountain has not been summited by man. This is the path to heaven. It is the eternal truth where all creation began, said Forgiveness. Well, are we supposed to go up? I don't see how anyone could make it all the way there. No one could survive that climb with such bizarre enlightenments of the mind, so who dare? Maybe not a man, but something with a colossal heart. Maybe a leopard, a panther, a mountain goat. Now forgiveness paused. Or what about wind horse? Now the wind spoke. Since this mountain was not built by man, there was no way to explain it or how it had began. What was the wind saying? It did not speak with human words, but I could hear something it was trying to explain. But still, what is it that I had heard? How could anyone make it up? Is there even a way? Learn what the Dharma portrays. It will not lead you astray. The Dharma is the eternal truth. It is the essence and the way. The purpose of the seer and nature coming together is to gain awareness of the true self and unfold the powers within you and nature. Simply stated, the union of the seen and the seer is for the seer to unfold the awareness of his and her true nature and power, said Mr. Kismet. But what does this mean? I'm not sure I understand. Why is the seer brought into contact with nature? The answer is to unfold the power latent in nature and your true self, which is the seer, and to enable you to gain self-realization, 
said forgiveness. Then self-realization is the pinnacle of Kailash's mountaintop? Yes, it is the essence of the Ten Bumis, the pinnacle of the universe. As you go along the path, there are various spiritual levels, which are called Bumis. But such states of being are not permanent. They are just temporary experiences. Altogether, there are ten stages, or Bumis, and each stage has various attributes, virtues, and stages of dealing with the world. This journey is an evolution of the soul, but in order to understand this, you are given a body with free will. You must decide how you'll discover your true self and the powers we all hold. So as evolution precedes your own consciousness, it is able to express itself more and more fully on various planes to manipulate and control the vehicles of life with increasing freedom and efficiency. What a tremendous task this is, and so it must be studied through the different kingdoms of nature and the totality of the human woman and man, which is involved in the process. As long as we confide ourselves to the phenomena of the physical plane, we can never have an adequate idea of the magnitude and nature of this task. This is why death is so special. It is in the invisible realms of the mind and the spirit that evolution produces its most magnificent results and the powers of nature find their chief expression, said Mr. Kismet. And about these ten goddesses or realms, what are they exactly? The Tibetan word for Bhumi is Sa, which means level, earth, or ground. And even though the seer has all the powers within, he and she is provided with an efficient set of vehicles or bodies to learn to control and use this potential and bring the seer and nature together. The seer has to master these vehicles, but also transcend them. That is the point of the mountain named Kailash, which has not been summited by man. Until and unless he or she can do this, he and she will remain under the limitations of the planes to which he or she is confined and subjected to their illusions. You are destined to be above the limitations and illusions of those planes. That is what self-realization is meant to accomplish. The complete mastery of the lower planes and transcendence are two aspects of the same problem, because complete mastery on these planes is not possible until the seer passes out of the control of nature. It is really up to you and your actions while living. The last step in the mastery of anything generally consists in transcending it or going beyond its influence and control. Then we can know it fully and control it completely, said Mr. Kismet. So I know that this mountain is self-realization, but to understand it is something completely different. To know it is simply to view it, but to understand it is to climb it. And only when I understand it do I have control over it. I look up and I see the sky is blue, but do I understand this? No, because I have no control of it. I look out and I recognize that wind horse is the elemental force within the nature of the human spirit, but do I command it? Not yet, said Mr. Kismet. At each of the ten stages, or ten boomies, you are loosening up and getting more inspired because there is less bondage of the confused and aggressive world. However, there is more to this path than purely engaging in peaceful activities or being a goody-goody. 
Each of the ten Bhumis is associated with the Paramita, or transcendent virtues. The Paramitas are what you can practice, and the Bhumis are what you get out of this practice. It is like going through the educational system. First, you learn how to spell, how to read, and how to do math. And later, those skills become the basis of your work or business. These are the levels, said Mr. Kismet. This mountain was shaped like a pyramid, and it towered over the land. And from it there were five rivers that provided the healing waters to all creatures, plants, and man. You see the five rivers? These are the five paths. This journey can be described in terms of the five paths. The paths of accumulation, unification, seeing, meditation, and no more learning. The first two rivers, the path of accumulation and the path of unification, are usually associated with the individual or human path. The last three paths, the path of seeing, meditation, and the path of no more learning are associated with the divine. First, the path of accumulation establishes the journey on the enlightened path of the Bodhisattva right from the beginning. The path of egolessness, compassion, and trust provides a starting point and general motivation. The path of accumulation itself is divided into three stages, the lesser, the medium, and the greater path of accumulation. Here we have the attitude like the earth. On the first stage of the path of accumulation, which is the lesser path, your attitude is very respectful. You would like to enter the path. You begin to experience the sacredness of your world, and whatever you perceive or do becomes trustworthy and ordinary. You have respect for reality, and you do not confuse things. You work with your life in accord with the four elements of fire, earth, water, and air. There is a quality of rightness about interacting with the world in this way. You are not upset by the sunrise and sunset, by shadows, by snow falling, by raindrops, or by gusts of wind. Changing weather conditions do not affect your state of mind. The analogy for such an attitude is the earth. You are like the earth, which is very solid, sits through the four seasons, and has evolved for millions of years. Next, your intention is like gold. On the second stage of the path of accumulation, which is the medium path, your intention is like gold. As a decent soul, a good citizen of the Bodhi path, you trust the process of the path. Because of that, you never change your mind, but remain solid in your practice. The analogy is gold because gold remains pure, and that quality never changes, even over millions of years. Likewise, until the attainment of enlightenment, the quality of good intention never changes. It is like a trustworthy friend who never gives up on you, said forgiveness. And I won't give up on you either, said Mr. Kismet. After this, we embody wholesomeness, like the full moon. On the third stage of the path of accumulation, which is the greater path, your intentions are clear and your attitude is good, and you are not trying to be devious or tricky in order to escape. You develop generosity, discipline, and all the rest of the paramitas on the small scale, and you feel that you can act appropriately. Wholesomeness is like the full moon, because you accumulate and expand various good deeds, said forgiveness. So that's it? That's just the first river, or path, said Mr. Kismet. 
On the second path, the path of unification, your willingness is like a burning fire. Having already experienced the three stages of the path of accumulation, you are looking forward to the possibility of entering the divine. At this stage, you see the obstacles to the path of Dharma that can be burnt, and so we regard them as fuel rather than as barricades. The meditation experience of the path of unification is complete non-conceptualization. It is the final realization of the desolateness of the meditative state. You begin to enter into the emptiness practice, or shunyata practice, and realization. Here there are four stages of discrimination. It is also said that on the path of unification, you develop four stages of discrimination. Heat, crest, patience, and higher dharma. This heat is like getting a fever before coming seriously ill. You sense the possibility of treading on the path of the bodhisattva, and being interested in the divine, you are fully dedicated to working with sentient beings. You are excited that you might meet the first bumi at some point. Crest is a terrifying sharpness and conviction. You develop sight for the peak, or the crest of Kailash. You are beginning to touch a sensitive point of your development, a once-in-a-lifetime set of experiences. Seeing the crest of the mountain is very penetrating. You feel a sharpness inside of you, as if you had swallowed a razor blade. There is a possibility for the first time of becoming superhuman, but that cannot be achieved unless you are late with that insight and are willing to live with it. The combination of heat and crest leads into a further process, the development of five perceptions and five powers. The first perception is faith in your discovery. The second perception is energy. You are not tired of what you are trying to do, but you are highly energized and interested. The third perception is mindfulness. Mindfulness is 24 hours at work. You are completely at the mercy of the Dharma. Mindfulness brings egolessness because your own interest is in awakening bodhicitta. You have no personal interest in nothing else. The fourth perception is samadhi, or meditative absorption. Even ordinary thoughts, such as fantasies, or aggression, or sex, become sources of inspiration on the bodhisattva path. The fifth perception is prajna, or knowledge. You begin to discover all kinds of subtleties in the world, of colors and shapes, and implications of energy exchange. And whatever happens in your life becomes tremendously sharp. Life reveals itself on its own, not according to your own preconceived ideas or ego's version of things. All five perceptions are based on selflessness and the recognition that you are advancing on the path. Along with the five perceptions, five powers develop at this point. The five powers are that the faith never needs to be sought, energy never needs to be sought, mindfulness never needs to be sought, meditative absorption never needs to be sought, and prajna, or knowledge, never needs to be sought. With the five powers, you have complete command. Now you have patience and complete identification with the teachings. With patience, the teachings are part of your system, so you are not impatiently looking forward to the next excitement, but you are willing to wait. Next, you touch higher dharma and become a part of a great lineage. Having developed conviction, you begin to understand that you are a holder of the dharma, or truth. 
Although you may not yet have become a teacher, you feel you are becoming part of something beyond yourself. On the path of unification, you realize your mind and body can be synchronized independent of the kleshas or poisons which are conflicting emotions. You take on an attitude that allows you to burn up the fuel of the kleshas or poisons. This change in attitude is the idea of alchemy, and so you join the mind and body. It is based on joining the very tranquil and very active. By joining together the very tranquil and very active, you are joining your intention and your action. That is what you do when you take the Bodhisattva vow. The path of unification links the past, or the path of accumulation with the future, or the path of seeing. The path of seeing is the forward vision, the event of what you might do, and the path of accumulation is what you have already done, said forgiveness. And when I look ahead, I see the mountain of Kailash. Yes, the path of seeing. Traditionally it is said that the divine journey begins with the third river or path, the path of seeing, which is connected with the first Bhumi. The connection with the divine begins with the path of seeing because you begin to have constant forward vision. Because you have forward vision, you begin to be pensive and have a quality of reserve. Next, the path of meditation. On Bhumis 2 through 10, you are said to be on the fourth path or feeding into the fourth river, which is the path of meditation. So as you evolve through the Paramitas to the level of wisdom, you are on the path of meditation. And finally, with the attainment of enlightenment, you are on the fifth and last path, or the feeding into the fifth river, the path of no more learning, said forgiveness. But the seer already knows, so what am I out to discover? I see that the mountain named Kailash, of self-realization, is right in front of me, but what am I left to uncover? The cause of this union is actually lack of awareness, or ignorance of your real nature. I can see that you're wondering about how this union came about, but it's because you've forgotten your own higher self. Someday, you will laugh about this, but this attitude only comes after self-realization. It's like a dreamer who upon waking up, laughs at his or her own frightening dreams. The understanding is realization. This is reminiscent of the Four Noble Truths. This explains the suffering of our world. Once we realize, we can advise others and say, I was ignorant, I had terrible experiences, I thought nature was real, that happiness was real, I ran after material things, pleasure, money, and fame, but now I know what they are. I learned this the hard way. Do you also want to learn the hard way? Or that pain can be avoided. The pain is ignorance. Soon you will discover how to remove this misery and it will be a personal method to remove it, said forgiveness. And whose method is this? It's yours? It's ours, all of us. We can really see the similarity between the Four Noble Truths and the Yoga Sutras. We shouldn't search for who they belong to, since the truth is always the same. Whoever ponders it will arrive at the same answer. The Buddha realized this. Lord Jesus realized it. Prophet Muhammad got it. The answer stays the same, but the method of work may vary this way or that way, said forgiveness. So then once I understand this ignorance or illusion, 
I can solve the great mystery of life and be free from its suffering, then I will realize why we have all been sent here. We have been sent down into the lower worlds in order that we may attain perfection through the experiences of these worlds or boonies. It is a long and tedious discipline, but it is worthwhile as anyone who understands what this perfection means and knows those whom this perfection is embodied," said Mr. Kismet. But I don't understand why this ignorance exists. Without it, everyone would already be the embodiment of perfection, and we'd be free. Without this ignorance, no such union occurs. This is the interdependence of the seer. It could also be said that the disassociation of the true self and nature brought about by the dispersion of ignorance is the real remedy, and that is the liberation of the seer," said Forgiveness. What are you trying to say? That the journey is the way. This is difficult to understand from the lower levels, but if you looked out from a top kailash, you would view everything from the perspective of a liberated being at the highest plane. That's when you realize you are not your body or mind, but rather you are the light of the divine. Once you understand this, you will not identify with any body or vehicle again. The process of separating off the vehicle and disentangling consciousness from it over and over on the lower planes brings you closer to the summit until you discover your true self," said Forgiveness. Can you say this simply? Once the junction created by ignorance is removed, the seer rests in its own true nature. The cause of bondage and liberation exists within our own minds. If we think we are bound, we are bound. If we think we are liberated, we are liberated. It is only when we transcend the mind that we are free from all these troubles," said Forgiveness. But how? By uninterrupted practice of awareness upon what reality is creates the dispersion of ignorance. This means you must understand the difference between what is real and what is not real. For instance, if the seer or true self goes on after death, then we should know that death is no problem, and yet this is not the case with the living. You must understand and see the permanent aspect in everything and ignore the impermanent aspect. The living are so attached to their physical body, but the entire body completely changes over a period of 7 to 12 years. In other words, you do not even have one cell that was there 12 years ago. If we could remember our basic truth, we would never face disappointment nor get upset over the changes in the forms and names of the world. I often say this prayer, lead us from the unreal to the real, from darkness to light, and from death to immortality. Imagine a tree that dies and becomes a few planks of wood. The planks die to become a chair, the chair dies to become firewood, and the firewood dies to become ash. We give different names to the different shapes the wood takes, but the basic substance is always there. If we could remember this, we would never worry about the loss of anything. We never lose anything, and we never gain anything. By such discrimination, we put an end to unhappiness," said Forgiveness. Then even though I know that I myself could never climb that mountain called Kailash, the journey itself represents the path toward seeking the truth, and I will go forth, because even if we don't win, I also know 
that as long as I don't quit, we cannot lose.